step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height Avram Rosenzweig began public speaking when he was five years old. Over the last five decades, Avram has mastered the art of public speaking. Today, Avram is a professional speechwriter and speech coach. He offers a wide selection of services that can assist you in preparing for public speaking events, speeches for family or professional occasions, a keynote, a memorial, or a simple toast. Avram can also coach you through articulation and presentation challenges. For all your speech writing needs, send Avram an email at info at hatradio.ca that's info at hatradio.ca hello and welcome back to hat radio my name is avram rosenzweig and this is episode 27 and my guest this evening is uh, my dear friend benji scheinwald how are you benji hey everyone I'm good how are you i'm doing very well i'm doing very well so i'm going to tell you guys a little bit about benji before we dive in Benji has worked uh, with two prime ministers, or under two prime ministers. Correct. As an advisor and a strategist, his skills include public policy and strategic planning. Uh, currently, he's the CEO of the Building Owners and Managers Association, Association of Canada. And prior to that, Benji served as the CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress. Uh, he served in the Privy Council in Ottawa. He was a lawyer for a while. And here's the real kicker. He worked for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, that is true. What, what did you do for the Jets? <laughs> it's amazing. I, I had that on as the very last line of my resume in yeah. a job search about eight years ago. It was one bullet at the very bottom. And I would say about, I don't know, half of my interviews and meetings and stuff focused on that line, even though it happened in... 1996, seven, I think, five, right. five, six, five, six, pardon me. Yeah. It still caught your eye. Uh, that was the year I was living in Winnipeg, where I'm from. Uh, I just finished undergrad a year or two earlier, and I was sort of doing different things before going on to grad school. And uh, and that was the year that the Jets, or I call them Winnipeg Jets 1.0, because it's 2.0 right now, um, were already um, heading to the town. And there was an entire lame duck season where everyone <laughs> right. knew they were leaving, but they were still staying for one more year. And I got hired on to be the group ticket salesperson. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. So I did everything from birthday parties to conventions to student nights, hockey tournaments that were visiting, you know, kids' tournaments. Uh, and yeah, and I spent the year trying to sell a product that nobody wanted to buy. <laughs> nobody wanted to buy it. Well, we, it was re we had terrible attendance because the city was so down in the dumps about the Jets leaving. And then I, I really put my shoulder into a, uh, a student night. And I went out and I, I worked really hard and I expanded or I was creative with the definition of student night. So instead of just going to the universities and a few of you know, the, uh, the usual suspects, um, I went to Bible colleges and beauty schools and yeah. language schools and anything under the sun that, that made sense. 
I did, got the tickets discounted significantly. I think down to 10 bucks or something like that. Which is a deal. Yeah, even back then. And average attendance had been in the sort of four or 5,000, maybe 6,000 range. Yeah, yeah. And that night we were up to like 11, 12,000. It was, felt like a you know, Jets game again. And uh, that was my, probably my biggest accomplishment of the year. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so you're yeah. a very tenacious person. Yeah, you know, if I set my mind to something, I, 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 I get into it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you still a Jets fan? Yeah, I'm not a huge hockey fan, ironically enough, uh, having worked for the Jets for a year. But I, uh, I did go to the very last ever game of Winnipeg Jets 1.0, and I was in Winnipeg for the very first game of 2.0 right. when they came back. I go to a game or two a year. You know, I'll, I've never been to, well, actually, that's not true. Uh, all the games I've been to have been in Winnipeg, so I'm back there a lot. But uh, I was uh, in Raleigh, Durham, and found myself there the weekend of the Jets uh, playing. And so I took my my uh, then ten year old daughter. She and I went down and watched the game together. That's pretty cool. It was cool. It was awesome. Yeah, that yeah. is cool. I mean, I remember the first time I took my son to a Toronto Maple Leaf game. Right. And it's just so awesome. The very first time you go. Yeah. I was having this discussion with someone. I remember walking through one of the entrances and looking and seeing just the vast, vast. Uh, horizon if you will i mean the ice in front of me and thousands of people sitting there and i just remember it was breathtaking just breathtaking that's cool i mean i i used to go to games as a kid uh, my dad shared season tickets so yeah. you know until we were a big family and he'd give some to customers and so forth but I, i'd go to half a dozen games a year give or take maybe a few more and then that last year i had my own season uh, tickets because of of my uh, my employment but i mean i remember as a kid like just you know we sat I think um, about nine rows up from the ice, maybe a bit further. And I, mean, I, I could see Gretzky's eyes, yeah, you know, cool. and I, that, that's, you yeah. know, I could see his eyes dart around on the ice and right. that's, that's pretty cool. That's that pretty is cool. very cool, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. know. Yeah. I remember that too. I couldn't believe how big these guys were, how yeah. fast they were, yeah. you know, how dramatic they were on the ice and how tenacious. It's like, there are warriors, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's awesome. It's exciting. It's a great game. Yes. It's fast. It's different. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know there was a time when I was a kid, you know, I collected, uh, stickers, stickers and right. cards for a while and, right. uh, and could name, you know, every player's uh, number and, yeah. uh, the place of birth, maybe pushing it country of birth, probably actually, that's not who I am now. I'm not a fanatic. I, I, I can name a handful of players that can enjoy a game, but, uh, that's about it. So yeah. you're a Bobby Hall fan. So Bobby Hull is, uh, you're, you know, you're dating yourself <laughs> it's before yes, I my am. time. I mean, certainly I grew up uh, uh, hearing about Bobby Hull all the time, and he was a huge impact on, on the existence of the Jets. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, I, actually a friend of mine's uh, father uh, acted for Bobby Hull's wife, I think it was, in their divorce. I had a little, <laughs> little, little connection that way. The flip side, uh, yeah. And, you know, Winnipeg's a small town, so you sort of get to know, you know, you're, you're sort of always one degree removed. Uh, but I never saw him play or didn't, don't remember that anyway. No, he was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. He'd be streaking down the wing, wind up for a shot. Bobby Hall shoots. He yeah. scores. That's yeah. what I grew up on. I, I mean, I remember hearing about him at the office that year that I was there. And, you know, the guy's like, everybody's got his issues. He's got, he's, you know, he's, he's imperfect like anybody else. Yeah. But I remember somebody saying to me, um, you know, Bobby Hull will sit and sign the last right. kid's autograph, no matter how long the line is. He will do it. He will smile. He will spend a few minutes. Yeah. And that's an impressive, um, uh, you know, I was going to say talent or skill, but it's not. I think it probably reflects who he is at his core. I think so, too. Yeah. They said the same thing about Gordie Howe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Well, I, I, can, I can tell you a story that I heard uh, when I was at the Jets of there was an old timers. Uh, I, I hope it's a true story. I'm not 100% positive. There's an old timers night of, of ex-Jets and I guess ex-NHL greats. And the old arena used to be uh, in the Pulo Park area, a famous shopping mall in Winnipeg. And there's a really well-known sort of old school steakhouse there called Ray and Jerry's, yeah. which is a real institution. And so a guy in the office was his job was to sort of take these guys to dinner and sort of babysit them and get them over to the game in time to drop the puck ceremonially uh, for the ice. And the story goes that uh, a bunch of players, and I'll, I'll leave the players uh, anonymous, um, were having a really good time. <laughs> let's say. Yeah, let's say. You, yeah. Know, and they, you know, they had their big steaks, but they had this glass of wine and this glass of scotch and this glass of beer or whatever. And they probably had a little too much to step onto the ice to drop a puck. And they were having a great time and they weren't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And they, oh, more of this, more of that, calling over the waitresses and stuff. And, uh, and my, uh, my colleague apparently was freaking out, as one would, and turned to Gordy Howe, who I think might have been a teetotaler. I don't think he, I certainly wasn't much of a partier, I think, and said, like, I was called Mr. Howe or called him Gordy and said, uh, you know, what do we do? We got, we got to go. We got to be the ice right now. Yeah. We got we to yeah. move to you know, five minutes across the way for, for the puck dropping. And apparently Gordy Howe said, guys, time to go. And everything stopped and they all got up and they went there and they made it in the nick of time. He yeah. was the king. Yeah. yeah he yeah. really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw him play when he was, I mean, he played very much later than anybody else. Uh, he played uh, into his 50s. He played with his sons. <laughs> yes, he did. And I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I think I saw him and his sons play with my own eyes at, at Winnipeg Arena, but I could be wrong. How old are you? Yeah. Uh, I'm 46, 47 this month. Okay, 47. Yeah. yeah. And it's your anniversary tomorrow. It is. Yes, it is. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank that's you. beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank beautiful. You. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been in Winnipeg. Uh-huh. I was there uh, not in the cold of winter, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I spent a little bit of time there during my work at Via Hafta. Yep. And I found it to be uh, a pretty warm place. People were nice. Yeah. Uh, not too big, like you said, you yep. know. And um, I actually had a nice time there. So what was it like to grow up in Winnipeg? Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think you were there as a scholar in residence or something uh, like that's that. That's right. At I went my to, shul. That's right. Yes. Yeah, at the Yetz Chaim in, uh, in the north end of Winnipeg. Uh, and I think that my dad was in the, uh, in the audience, the congregation, when you were speaking. Um, yeah, it was great growing up there. I had an amazing, wonderful childhood. You know, you, you know the world has changed so much, not necessarily for the better. So... You know, when I was in grade five, I started biking to school and it was a long bike ride. It was probably 20, 30 minutes to go to the day school I used to go to, the Jewish day school. What kind of bike did you have? <laughs> when I was that age, I, I don't know, I probably either had a 10 speed or was dreaming of one. Okay. Because um, I had a banana bike when I was a kid. I don't think I had a banana bike. Actually, there is an old, I don't know what you'd call it, sort of more of an old fashioned bike, you know, yeah. even pre-banana uh, that... We all rode that my, my mom, my, my late mom saved for her grandchildren, uh, which we we got fixed up. And my kids now ride it at, at our cottage at Winnipeg Beach. Uh, so that, That's cool. that I, I definitely outgrown that by then. But yeah, I mean, it was just, the point is that you could just sort of, there was an ease and a liberty and a freedom and an innocence that was, uh, that was probably partly just the time that I grew up in the, in the 80s. Uh, but with a little bit of, you know, a very, um, very warm, uh, easy uh, community for sure as well. Do you like going back there? I go back all the time. Um, you know, my, my dad is still there. I, I kind of famously have uh, uh, my grandmother still there who's 106. 
so I, I spend as much time with her as I can. She's 106. 106. 106, yeah. yeah. I interviewed Kitty Cohen on this show. Yeah, yeah I, have, I, I saw it on the list. I haven't listened to it yet. So she was 106. 112, she, I think. When she, no, no, no. She was 106. Okay. There was a woman who just passed away. Oh, pardon me. Okay. I think Holy Blossom or Beth Sedek. Beth Sedek, I, I saw her there, yeah. Right, but yeah. Kitty was 106, and she died okay. two weeks after I interviewed her. Okay. She went down to Jamaica to be at her son's resort. Wow. She got pneumonia. She passed away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But she was of the ilk. Yeah. I actually said to her, my son and I went to visit her at a senior's home. Right. And we said, Kitty, do you think you should be traveling down to yeah. Jamaica? Yeah. And her response was either this or what she meant was, you know, if I go tomorrow in Jamaica, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. yeah. Right? I understand that So, So what's much. your grandmother like at 106? Yeah, look, she's awesome. She 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 only moved into assisted living two years ago. Yeah. She was on her own until 104 in her apartment. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, she slowed down, and and uh, I mean, she's still pretty sharp. Her her vision is going, which is probably the toughest thing for her, and her hearing isn't perfect. Well, it's not bad, um, but uh, but on the whole, she's still the same person. Um, you know, she'll say things on the phone. Uh, and this is this last six, twelve months, and she might even hear this. <laughs> yeah. But she'll say things on the phone like, you know. Uh, uh, you know, human beings weren't meant to live this long. That's what she uh, says. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, she's not in any pain. She enjoys her, her life. Um, she still goes often to her sort of beloved Jewish senior center at the other end of town. Yeah. Because uh, she's now living in the sort of the south end. She was a, a north ender for people to know the difference. Uh, the north end is sort of the... Uh, uh, the uh, the old uh, old Winnipeg used to be a very violent area, right? Uh, so, well, there are there are a handful of problems in the North End for sure. But so the North End was kind of like the melting pot of Winnipeg back yeah. in the day. Uh, you know, the time when there was a kosher butcher in every block, and the Jews and the Ukrainians and the Poles and the I don't know who else uh, had an extremely vibrant uh, community. And it's changed over time, and and the Jewish community has moved more to the south end of the city, which is a um, a little bit different. And you know, there's there's still lots of vibrancy in the North End for sure. But this is a woman who spent literally she's born there 104 years living in the North End of Winnipeg. She was born there. She's born there. But my grandmother. Uh, was interviewed on the radio recently uh, because she went with someone to see a radio station, a radio studio, kind of like this, and she talked about remembering because it's the hundredth anniversary right right now, hundred anniversary last month, remembering the Winnipeg general strike in nineteen nineteen. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. She had to she had to walk home, I believe, carrying her infant sister. Yeah. In her arms with her mother or father, something like that, because the streetcars had stopped working. Isn't that uh, something? Because, yeah, because the strike. Yeah. That's yeah. what I found from Kitty, too. She yeah. would remember things that I was amazed at. And you think to yourself, that woman had seen so many worlds. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. For is this sure. your father's mother? It is, yeah. And how do how, how do they get along? Do they get along well? Yeah, they get along very well, for yeah? sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. My, can you tell when he's with her, can you tell that he's her son? Like, does he become a son? You know how we change, when, depending on whom we're with? Uh, uh, he's a very good son to her. Yeah. Uh, and, and she knows it and she's appreciative. My dad has one sibling who's in Calgary, so a lot of the caregiving falls on him. Uh, and, you know, there's a fair bit of that. What's interesting is that is that there are times where he can still talk to her the way he would have talked to her when he was 19. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, but what I mean is, you know, he'll, you know, to everyone else, she's this sweet little old lady. And to him, and I get this, she can be, you know, his mother. It's ir- his mom. And so yeah. Forth. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that happens a bit for sure. Yeah. Are you a good son? I hope so. I have to ask him. Because <laughs> often if you yeah. watch your parents and you see how they are yeah. to their parents, through osmosis, you pick such things up. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. Good, good parents will more often than not create good kids who are good to them, right? 
My, my guess is you're probably a good son. I hope so. You know, ask my dad. I, I think you get a positive answer. I mean, that's why you go back to Winnipeg, isn't it? See your dad? Yeah, see my dad, my grandmother for sure. Yeah. Definitely. What did your dad do for a living? My dad had a business. Uh, he, he did He did it well in his in his business. Um, uh, manufacturing industry. He sold it about three years ago. What What did he manufacture? Uh, the chief uh, 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 industry was injection molding. Uh, and he was a custom injection molder. So he didn't have a lot of products that he sort of owned. He, he had a few of those. Um, some that were, were quite successful, but... The bulk of his work was uh, you would go to him and say, hey, can you make me this for uh, for some other product? He'd make a little piece yeah. that would get swallowed into some other product. And they had a you know a bunch of ancillary um, uh, production processes that sort of grew naturally from that, from right. that business. Yeah. You talked before about uh, your dad giving tickets away to his clients. Yeah. 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 Your clients was probably a big word or a big thing in your growing up years, wasn't it? Uh, so he, uh, he actually used the word customers, which is or probably customers, a little more, yeah, yeah client yeah. is a little more professional service. I mean, my dad, uh, he would give tickets to customers, uh, as one should, you know, to show appreciation for them. Uh, you know, he, he would go to games with us as well. He'd go with friends once in a while. And he'd also give away tickets to his staff quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I may have told this story at Verhaupt, I forget, because you asked once about about um, something along those, on those lines. But um my dad had had tickets to the Jets, and I'm working a bit from memory here, and I think he would just sort of give them to the staff as he could, you know, for this or that reason. And he had dedicated tickets for the Bombers, only for the staff, I think, and dedicated tickets for the Gold Eyes, which is the minor league baseball team there, uh, which he'd only give to them. And then he sort of woke up one day, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and said... Uh, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> only in the way that, that he could, you know, what, what a jerk I'm being, uh, which of course is the exact opposite, being very generous. Uh, why do I think that, that the employees are, are only interested in sports? Um, there's the ballet, there's live theater, there's opera, there's the symphony. Oh, that's cool. And he went out and bought season tickets to those guys. And oh, he's a giving, good man. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. He's yeah, a good so man. a lot of people who, who wouldn't otherwise go to see that kind of stuff. And so a very, very vibrant cultural scene there began to take it in. Did you go to your dad's manufacturing environment when you were a kid? Yeah, I go now. Then. Well, do you remember? You have memories of that. So my my dad was in one business until I was about eleven or twelve. It was a family business um, with his sort of in laws, uh, and then he he sold his share and, and bought this new one, which he sort of threw himself into. And my memory of the of the earlier business uh, was that I would go a couple couple times a year, I guess, something like that. And, um, you know, they'd give me little little tasks. There was a, a man there uh, who I remember who would have me manually put together little uh, brochures that he would give to the clients and yeah. pay me 10, yeah. cents of, 10 cents of brochures. I have a stack of dimes at the end of the day. <laughs> but I remember going into the, into the factory part. This was a manufacturer of uh, bathware and septic tanks and other sort of big uh, plastic and fiberglass products. And I remember they would give me a ride on the forklift. And the forklift seemed enormous yeah. to me, but it was probably yeah. quite small. Right. And to me, it looked like a convertible sports car, but it was a <laughs> forklift. And I remember sort of having a sense in my sort of eight-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever uh, mind. I kind of understood my dad. You know, he worked in the office. He wore a tie. He, he kind of had a sense of being a bit of a boss, if I can put it that way. And I remember sort of wondering to myself, like, God, if you're calling the shots, why aren't you driving the forklift all day? It is so much fun. Uh, I love that's what that. I would do, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. That's how kids think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, why would you be up in the office? Yeah, Jeez, that's a drag. You could drive the sports car all day long. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, I want to talk about Mr. Berger for a second. Sure. Because sure. we're talking about Winnipeg yeah. and Mr. Berger was your teacher. Yeah. And what we call Cheder, which is Talmud Torah, which is after school, school, Jewish school, right? Uh, day school in my case. Oh, it was day school in yeah. Winnipeg? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But before I do that, I want... I want to tell you yeah. that I think you are a fine writer. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really do. Thank you. Do, do you get a lot of accolades for your writing? Uh, there's no uh, fan club, but uh, <laughs> you know, people. I, I get a lot of feedback, which I really enjoy. Yeah. And people will reach out to me um, who know me uh, and and express appreciation, which I like because I want to have an impact. I'm not doing it for any other reason other than getting people to think and and rethink and reconsider. Uh, and I would say every three, as I, I, as like you, I think we're on the same page, in fact. Um, every four weeks, I've got a piece of the Canadian Jewish News, uh, and then I do occasional pieces in other sort of mainstream newspapers, Global Mail and so forth, um, cbc.ca. And, uh, National Post. National Post, yeah. Yeah, well, that's getting harder to get into, but that's true. Um, and uh, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look, watch the comments, I'll get, someone will find my email address online, and I'll get feedback uh, a good, bad, and ugly, which I like. You, you, you want people to to react to it. Uh, I, I, I know a, a, a professional writer, uh, someone who makes his living full time, and is an excellent, excellent uh, opinion journalist. Uh, and he told me that uh, that a successful opinion journalist has to wake up in the morning, and and before he or she gets out of bed, has to say, "The world must hear my my opinion today. Mm-hmm, I've got mm-hmm. something to say." And so I, I can I can be opinionated. I'm not sure if I'm quite that far. Uh, but certainly when I, when I write stuff, I try to develop an opinion. I try to be punchy and argumentative without being a jerk, you know, try, try to be respectful, but argumentative. Uh, yeah. And so I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. So yeah. Mr. Berger yeah. was your teacher. And I just want to read the second to last paragraph of an article, um, that you wrote for the Jewish Old World, is that what it's no, called? No, it's CJN, Canadian Jewish so this News. This is a CJN. Canadian Jewish so, News. Right, Canadian Jewish News. So you write, yeah. now <laughs> that he's passed, I realize that we've lost someone who connected a new generation to the old world. We didn't understand it then, but in a small way, we students were the very last to have just a fleeting touch of a world gone forever, a flickering hint what it was like to go to Cheder rather than something new and modern called day school. That's a nice piece. <laughs> Thank you. That's nicely written. Thank you very much. Are, are you Thank a big you. reader? Yeah, I, I, a true writer has to be a good yes. reader. Yes. And uh, maybe that's why I'm kind of a, uh, an amateur or whatever you want to call it. I, I read, um, I find myself that I, that I read in batches. I'll read, voraciously is pushing it. I'll read a lot and then suddenly I stop and I'll just go without reading anything significant for a while, and then I pick it up again, and I'm into it for a few more months. I mean, I'm always reading something. I've got on the way up here uh, on the subway. I brought. I have uh, you know reading articles on on my on my phone. Uh, uh, but in terms of books, I'm I'm hot and cold. Fiction. Yeah, everything. Everything. What, what what kind of fiction would you read? Give me an example. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're catching me in one of my cold moments. Yeah, yeah. Brain um, fart. What's that? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not. I'm not reading a lot these days. Although I, I'm going on vacation in a week or two, and I'll grab a book then for sure. Uh, what would I read? I, I reread a Margaret Lawrence book a few months ago. Uh, you know, The Diviners, which I had. Re- I think I had read it in high school. I enjoyed right, that a lot. Right. Uh, I've got a murder mystery that I've sort of op- opened uh, a little bit by an author whose name I forget. Of course, this mo- this moment. I read history. I read politics. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, would I read 
uh, I don't know, uh, an, uh, an accounting textbook. Well, only if I had to, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty eclectic in my reading. Do you read yeah. at home? Yeah. yeah Cause you have sure. the two girls. I have two girls. Yeah. I've got a girl who's almost 12 and a girl who's seven. Yeah, Where would exactly. you read at home? On the couch, wherever. Yeah. I do, mean, you, I, do you read when you're in bed before you go to bed? No, Cause I, I can't do that. No, no, I, I can't I do that. In bed. No, I, I can't do that either. Um, uh, and the truth is these screens we all carry around in right. our pockets are, are right. becoming very distracting to, to life and very disorienting. And I'm guilty of that for sure. Uh, I travel a lot in my job. So I read a bit um, on airplanes. I, I read on vacation. Um, like I said, you're catching me at a moment where it's it's cold, not hot. So uh, it's a little bit a little bit different than, than, than what I'm reading. It's okay. Your answer is fine. <laughs> Mr. Berger. Okay, sure. When the war ended, he taught refugee children in a German displaced persons camp. All he wanted was to help kids who had lost years of Jewish education. Yeah, that breaks my heart just to yeah. read that. And it's true. Kids just lost years of it, didn't they? For sure, for sure. Teaching was my desire, he said. And he added that Jewish education is the greatest education in the world because it encompasses everything else. So when he passed away a little while ago, why, why did you decide to write about him? Um, so, so that little bit uh, that you quoted uh, was from a bit of research I did. So when I decided to write the piece, I, I do what everyone does, and I started Googling him. I had lots of memories of him and, uh, and a bit of family history with him as well. But I didn't know that, that part about him. And I think I write in that piece somewhere along the lines of, um, you know, I, I actually didn't know that he was a Holocaust survivor. Right. Um, now, um, a, a friend of mine, unusually in this case, gave me a bit of help on that piece and I offered to give him a, a credit on the byline, but he, he declined. Uh, and he said that he, he's my, uh, my vintage at, at, at the same school. And he said he remembers one time when he talked about the Holocaust. Uh, but so some of that stuff I didn't, I didn't know at all. Um, Ray, well, why did you decide like, look, you okay. and I both write. Yeah. I have a list of ideas, artic right. article yeah, we've I talked about ideas. So do I. We've yeah. talked about that. Yeah. So do I. And sometimes I look at them and I go, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. maybe, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I find the hardest part, Benji, yeah. is to sit down, get that opening line, get the concept going, yeah. and then boom, I can just fly. So why did you choose Mr. Burger? Yeah. So, okay. So I, I, I will get to your question, but I, I should say that I work really hard on the opening line. Yes. And I try to uh, grab the reader by the lapels on the opening line. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of professional journalists will say that. Uh, and so that's something that I work very, very hard on. Do you want to know what your opening line was in this article? Uh, sure, please. The recent passing of Leon Berger will resonate with thousands of his former students, but really symbolizes the closing of a chapter for Jewish Jewish education in Canada. Okay, so that's yeah. not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Why did I pick him? Because, um, well, I mean, I mean, in a general sense, and this isn't this isn't fair to him, but just generally speaking, I try to mix it up. Um, I really do try to write. In a, a diverse topics, um, in the CJN or in general, Canadian Jewish News or in general, I don't want to always be writing about Israel or always be writing about anti-Semitism or, or this or that. And so I'm strategic in in my in my topic selection. That being said, that I, I didn't pick him for that reason, though it fits in with that that overall uh, pattern. I I picked him because he deserved it because that opening line is true because. You know, he was somebody who did have an enormous impact on thousands of people yes. uh, over decades. I and mean, I think I write in that piece that my mother was his student and she retired like 20 years before him <laughs> yeah, or something right, like that. Right. Um, uh, so, um, and I knew that there would be 
dozens, if not hundreds of people who might find out about his passing through my piece because they had left Winnipeg and maybe opened up the CJN in Toronto, Montreal, anywhere. And so it was a way to let people know. And I, I got some, some good feedback about that piece as well, which was gratifying. He deserved it. He was, a, he was, a, he was an amazing teacher who had a, a terrific impact on our community. Well, what made him amazing? Uh, I mean, um, what made him amazing? Uh, I mean, I, I think the, the the part you quoted earlier about his his desire to teach. Um, he was he taught for fifty plus years. Like, yeah. just think about that. Yeah. Think about going into the classroom with a bunch yeah. of you know bratty fourteen <laughs> yeah. year olds right. for your fifty second year or whatever. Uh, but he was he was passionate. He was funny. Uh, he had a quirky sense of humor. Um, you know, and he was the energizer bunny. He just kept going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way you positioned him too. I'm going to read the last paragraph. Sure. sure. Because you didn't, and we, we often do this in today's social media or in our writing, we turn people into superstars uh -huh. and it's somewhat inappropriate because yeah. most people are regular folk. Yeah. But here's what you wrote. My yeah. old, my, my old school's cast of characters included a wonderfully eccentric faculty, a it's remarkably true. eclectic student body and a sometimes wacky culture. I once said that attending it was like living in a Neil Simon play. Again, great imagery. You have wonderful imagery in <laughs> your writing. You, yeah, you. Mr. Berger was not the star. This is what you write. Nor was he the director. Like so many teachers, he was happy playing a small supporting role, but a role that nonetheless quietly enabled the entire production to succeed. Nicely written. <laughs> Thank you. Nicely written. Thank I you. love Thank your you. writing. But I mean, like, like, uh, thank, it's very kind of you. Um, although I see some syntax problems with that last uh, paragraph. Uh, I wish I, I would have caught. I wish I would have caught. Humble to the uh, end. But uh, look, I mean. I, but, by the way, I do yeah. that too. I read my stuff over and they go, okay, I'm not reading this again. Yeah, yeah, I do the same. I got to put it away. I'll yeah. kill myself. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, I, I think that does, look, at the end of the day, he was a teacher. Um, yeah. And uh uh, so I said he wasn't the star, he wasn't the director. Well, he wasn't the principal, and he wasn't the uh, the, the quarterback of the football team. Not that my day school had one. Um, he was a teacher, yes. but he just did his job so doggedly, so uh, consistently that that uh, that's why I think he wasn't the star. But but he played this this vital role. Yes, yeah, he's quiet, folks. Mm -hmm. We had a teacher in Kitchener when I went to Talmud Torah at mm -hmm. my father's shul, mm -hmm. and I'm just I haven't thought about him in years. His mm -hmm. name was Mr. Man. Mm -hmm. M-A-N-N, -N, and mm -hmm. he taught us for a number of years, mm -hmm. and he was consistent, and yeah. he was always there, yeah. and he was a reasonably good teacher, yeah. but he made a big impact on us. He yeah. really, he had yeah, a big impact. Sure. He really did. For he sure. really did. I, um, I want to talk about another article that you wrote, sure, which I also sure. quite like, okay, which and is it was that? Shabbos and Soul. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I really yeah, like that article. But Thank before you I do, much. you mentioned yeah. a couple times. Yeah. That, that your mom passed away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. my mom passed away, too. I think it's almost, it's about three and a half years. When did your mom die? Uh, uh, she died about uh, 10, 10 years ago in August. Yeah. 10 years. How yeah. old was she when she died? Uh, she was 64. And, yeah. and uh, what did she pass from? Lung cancer. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I, uh, I always say non-smokers lung cancer as if I've got to sort of explain the cancer. Yes. I, I assume people are sort of judging, oh, she must have been a smoker. Correct. Uh, but she wasn't a smoker. She yeah. wasn't. Lung cancer is a, uh, is a uh, lung cancer among non-smokers, and maybe smokers as well, uh, is a growing cancer, and they're not sure why. I know. I hear yeah. about that all the time. Yeah. What, what was yeah. her name? Uh, Sharon. Her name was Sharon. Yeah. What was she yeah. like? Yeah, she was great. She's a very strong woman, very you know, wonderful mother. We uh, you know, raised four kids. Uh, 
uh, also, you know, hard worker and uh, a wonderful home and an amazing cook. And you hear that a lot about uh, women in our community, but it was true in her case. Uh, it was not unusual, you know, pre-Google for our phone to ring at six o'clock at night when some other mother was calling her saying, uh, I'm trying to baste a turkey and I can't <laughs> figure it out. How do you do this? And yeah. she'd walk them through and, uh, and explain it to them for sure. Uh, yeah, no, she's a great, great lady, and we so miss her a lot. Yeah. She, you miss, I know, yeah, I miss sure. my mother for a lot, sure. too. Definitely. Sometimes I wake up, and I can't believe that, well, in my case, both my parents are gone. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost 60 years old, and you know, yeah. Benji, sometimes yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like an orphan. Yeah, I understand that. I get that. I get that. Wait, yeah. but, and, and if she, she passed away, you said 10 years ago? Uh, 10 years in August. So she knew your wife? Yep. And she knew your kids? She knew my older one. My she she uh, passed away in August, and my older one uh, would turn two in September. So, and so she only had um, uh, three grandkids at the time. And Orly, my older one, would have been the oldest of the three. And my dad said that uh, <laughs> I'm being very personal here. <clears throat> that um, she's a very strong woman, and in the whole 14 months from diagnosis to the end. Uh, she never once cried. And my dad cried, but she never once cried uh, with the with single exception of talking about how she wouldn't know her grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, she should rest in peace. Thank you very much. Yours as well. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Did your dad thank date you. again? Pardon me? Did your dad date my again? My dad's got a, he did, and he's got a wonderful partner and a he woman does. in Winnipeg. Yeah, she's That's awesome. Terrific. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. That's and, terrific. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, I might have mentioned this on another show, but when my mother passed away, right. about a year and a half afterwards, you know, you just see how lonely they are. Mm -hmm. You know, having been attached to someone for so many years, mm -hmm. uh, there's a piece of you which goes with them. And I saw that on my, 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 uh, my mother. So I put an advertisement in the Canadian Jewish News. For her? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I didn't tell her. <laughs> and I kind of juxtaposed her, her devotion, her commitment to Judaism. This is a fringe play. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, sort yeah. of Neil Simon-ish. <laughs> with her love of theater and okay. play and writing. Because my right. mother could recite a Shakespeare sonnet to you wow. by heart. Wow, wow, wow. And so, you know, I love Torah, but I also love going to theater and plays. Right. Long and short of it, two men answered. Okay. And then I told her about it. And she said, okay, that's great. Thank you. And she went out with both of them. Okay. She married the second one, wow. Marcus. Avram, they, they were married for 11 years. Wow. And here's the kicker, Benji, yeah. that yeah. when my mother married Marcus, yeah. she knew he had cancer. Wow. Good but she her. decided to anyway. Good for her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he was interesting because my father, whom she was married to for 37 years, yeah. he was the intellectual. Yeah. He was the spiritual one. Right. He was a rabbi. Right. Yeah. So he taught her about spirituality. Right. And they didn't do a lot of traveling. Right. But Marcus, also very, very smart man, he was a man of the world. Right. So he took my mom to the Galapagos, oh, took awesome. us to Ireland. They went to Israel a number wow. of times. So she got the best of both worlds. That's a wonderful story. I mean, you're you're bolder than I am. That's for sure. Well, it's um, just nice not to see your parents alone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. For sure, it really is. Yeah, it really yeah. Is. That's an amazing story. That's that 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 should be written up. Uh, yeah, for sure, thank you. If it hasn't already been done. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote another article and it's called Shabbos and Soul and I really like this Thank you, you say in here it's interesting you have, you have interesting what we call in Yiddish little chaps you okay. know what a chap yeah. is uh, not sure my thumb's going upward like they would when they're laying the helmet it's a okay. chap okay. Is, is an interesting um, thought an interesting idea okay well like yeah yeah I hadn't thought of that okay. sort of thing okay Okay. so sure. your chap is you know you say yeah. that one of the greatest things about traveling and yeah. you're a traveler yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is finding a shul yeah. in the place that you visit is it? Absolutely. So you went to Shul's where? Oh, where not? I mean, I, I think I say in there, I you know, I'm look, I'm I'm traditional, but I'm not uh, religious, so I I don't 
seek them out in uh, uh, in well, I was in Salt Lake City last week. I didn't go there. I've right. been interesting, I suppose. Uh, but um, you know, I've been in shul in Istanbul and not the famous European one, but on the Asian side with some Turkish Jewish friends. I've been in shul in Gondor, Ethiopia, and Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Both the Ethiopian shul and the Adenite shul of Jews <laughs> who moved across from uh, from Aden in in Yemen. I think I'm, I might have been there for the last ever service in in that shul. Uh, I've been to shul in uh, Dublin. Uh, Dublin, I went to shul for sure. Yeah, I remember that very well. Nairobi, Hong Kong. Nairobi, I went many years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hong, Hong Kong. I, I spent a summer in Hong Kong, and I went every every single Saturday morning. It was uh, Saturday morning, Friday, Saturday morning, and that was awesome. That shul, that, that shul was great. Yeah. What was what was great about it? So the Hong Kong Jewish community owns a massive piece of land in the mid levels, which is one of the most uh, desirable parts of that uh, that island. Uh, and uh, a few years before I got there, they developed it. And so the shul, which at the time was about 100 years old, and this is going back uh, 15 years or so, um, was retained, of course. It's a historical building, beautiful shul. It's a sister shul, literally, to a shul, I think, in Shanghai, uh-huh. because um, they were named for two sisters in the Sassoon family, um, and, although the, the sisters have the matriarch's names. Um, and they took this piece of land, and they developed it, and they crossed the way. They, it's kind of hard to explain because of the slope of the land, but they built a five-story pedestal, which was the Hong Kong JCC, right. Jewish Community Center, upon which were two massive towers uh, of condos. Uh, and so, yeah, you'd go to the shul and you'd meet people from everywhere. I mean, you know, the person next to you in shul is from Lebanon or from Indonesia or from Toronto or wherever. Uh, and then you'd, you'd finish the services, walk across this courtyard in the beautiful weather, go to the multi-purpose room of the JCC, and, and waiters would appear in black tie any old Saturday uh, after after uh, services for Kiddush. Yes. And you'd say, you know, like like the beef or the chicken, sir? And uh, I'll, I'll have the beef today. Uh, it was it's quite an affluent community given that given that uh, given that uh, location well, of Hong Kong. What about Cholent? Don't remember Cholent. I got to tell you, I was in Hong Kong in July and August, and Cholent would have been a little too hot and sticky for well, that. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. But I, I forget if there was Cholent or not. Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. 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 So you said I was in China where I joined Kihilat Beijing for Friday evening services. True, yeah. Kabbalat Shabbat services, again, which is Friday night services, were held in a social hall with a portable, distinctly Chinese arc, complete with inlaid mother of pearl. Yeah, it must yeah. mean stunning. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful Chinese cabinet that they had repurposed into an arc. I, I don't know if it was custom made or not. Uh, you know, it would have looked uh, very nice in an elegant living room or bedroom or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was Chinese. It was definitely Chinese. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine you there because you're a talkative fellow. You're communicative, right? Uh, you know, I can be quiet as well. I can be a little shy sometimes. It uh, depends on, on where I am in the element. But, uh, um, you know, you, even you walk into shul to meet people and make a community and be part of a service, especially in a place like Beijing, uh, and yet, I kind of personally, I kind of feel like I'm a guest still. Yeah. You know, I, people are saying hello and hugging and talking. I'm seeing you for a week or a month or whatever, or six months, uh, and I'm I'm you know, I'm the newcomer, so I'm I'm still a little bit uh, a little shy that way. Yeah. Right. But yeah. again, that's the nice part of it, isn't it? Absolutely. For it sure. really you can is. Connect quite quite easily. So so in Beijing, you write it. Uh, you met someone by the name of, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Zhu. Z-H-U. Well, she pronounced the Jew. <laughs> yeah, she pronounced it Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us about her. She was an interesting character. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, I was sort of sitting on my own, uh, following along, and and very thoughtfully at the end of the service, 
Uh, they asked any newcomers or, or first timers uh, to put up their hand and introduce themselves. So I did. I said, I'm Benjamin from, from Canada. And she pointed at me with a great big smile on her face and sort of waved to me. And uh, services ended a moment later. And she sort of came up to me and, uh, and started talking to me. Uh, this is probably in the piece. I, I think it is. I'm telling the story yeah. from the CJN yeah. piece. And uh, so, it, it, so she was a, a woman of Chinese background who had met a Jewish lawyer, I think from Toronto. This lawyer was interested in practicing indigenous law, Aboriginal law, and they moved to Kenora, Ontario. Uh, so I'm just, it's just the, the different worlds colliding is crazy. Uh, uh, not that many Jews in Kenora anymore. And there, weren't, there weren't very many to begin with. I'm guessing not very many Chinese, much less a Jewish Chinese family. Right. Uh, and they move out there and they make their life there, according to her. And uh, so Kenora, Ontario is a is a 15-minute boat ride from my old summer camp where my older daughter now goes, and she's going in two weeks, three weeks, I guess, uh, for her third year at that camp. And so her daughter comes over, start talking. Her daughter had been a counselor at the camp until that year. Oh, wow. and, oh you got to come visit us when you drop your daughter off, and uh, we'll have you over for a barbecue. And it was just neat. You know, here I am wandering in uh, from, a, from a trade mission, yeah. uh, Government of Canada trade mission, and, and I make this connection to uh, Lakefront Kenora. Yeah. Uh, we should say, my mother used to call Kenora Kenanahora. It's, it's an old right. joke. Is yeah, that for an old sure. Joke? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Kenahora, for so, sure. So, is, what, what is it, a couple hour drive from Winnipeg? <clears throat> yeah, it's about two, two and a half hours due east. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful Stunning. part of the country. Yeah, Stunning. Lake of the Woods is amazing. Um, you know, small, you know, town built, I think, on sort of lumber and so forth. Um, but, but beautiful cottage country. And then, you know, from there you would get on a boat and you would go to Town Island where Benebreath Camp is and, uh, and have the summer of your life. Yeah. I visited a number of reserves in the area. Native reserves. Is that as part of a have to? Eh? Yes, it was. So when I when I led the leadership training program, the sort of the the, the last year of of camperdom before you become a staff person, we tried really really hard to connect uh, with the reserves that we would pass on this boat and, and sort of you know, just get to know each other and so forth. Email didn't exist back then, yeah. uh, and we tried and tried and we could never never arrange it. It seemed. Uh, but I'm, I'm good for you, and I kind of regret to this day we didn't have that connection. Yeah, I'll tell you, Benji, I think that every Canadian should. There was a woman uh, working out of Quebec, and she started a program whereby she would invite people to come to live on a native reserve for a week. Wow. And uh, she produced a CD uh, on it and, a num uh, and on a lot of different materials, which I had read. And people would come up, and some very high-profile people, like mm. government, government ministers and so on. Right. And it's like anything else. It's like, you know, we have missions to Israel. Mm -hmm. If you haven't been to Israel before and you decide to go on birthright, right. which is for individuals, again, who have never been in Israel before, yeah. you go to the Middle East and it's a brand new world, yeah. right? Yeah. Same yeah. thing with going to our reserves here in yeah. Canada. Your eyes open wide and you are astounded about what you see and what you don't see, Yeah. right? Yeah, I believe that. I'm trying to think if I've... If I've been to one, despite trying all those years ago, I don't think I have. I, mean, I, I passed through them on the highway, kind of thing. There's there's some right. reserves, mind you, that was on the on the New York side. But yeah, no, it's uh, not for lack of trying. Although I acknowledge not not a whole lot of trying in the last few years, and I'd welcome the opportunity for sure. What I wanted to on, do on, on that same trade mission to yeah. China, when I ended up in the shul in Beijing, there was an indigenous leader from Manitoba, as it happens, yes. who was who was uh, who was part of the trade mission. Uh, and I, I forget actually, uh, but he was he was trying to do business with the Chinese in some kind of a 
um, uh, sustainable buildings for his reserve, exporting, importing. Uh, and we, I, I, I had forgotten about that. I should see if I can <laughs> reach well, out back out again. You know, I, I, I'm yeah. very um, uh, mostly honored yeah. And also very, very happy that the Jewish community has done a lot of work with the Native community in Canada. You were the CEO at the Canadian Jewish Congress. Right. I, I know that the Congress took a group of uh, elders, I believe it was, or chiefs um, from Canada to Israel. Bernie Farber, who was with the Canadian Jewish Congress, told me about it. Am I being accurate here? Yeah, I, it was before my time. I mean, I, You're correct that it happened, yes. but I, I wouldn't know much about it. I remember Phil Fontaine was on it, uh, but I don't know much about that trip. So other than I remember hearing it was fantastic. I spent time with Phil Fontaine in Winnipeg. Right. He was the uh, chief of the Assembly of Nations. Yeah, First Nations, yeah. First Nations. Yeah. So we had a wonderful time. We sat at a restaurant in downtown Winnipeg. Right. And he told me stories about Meech Lake. Hmm. Um, tremendous sense of humor. Right. Um, and uh, some of the very daunting things that occurred when Meech Lake was happening. Right. Uh, and I'm still in touch with him now. I'm trying to get get him here at, at Hat Radio to do oh, an interview. because he's a, yeah, 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 that would be wonderful. Great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be terrific. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk I, a little... I, I, I don't know him, but I used to see him at Jets games. So there you go, it all comes yeah. back. Yeah, it all goes full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's quite a man. I'm, he's, uh, uh, no doubt. No quite doubt. a man. Yeah, no doubt. So Benji, you work for an organization which is called BOMA Canada. Yeah. Stands for Building Owners and Managers Association of Canada. Correct. Uh, one of your products is Canada's largest environmental certification program That's for right. commercial real estate. That's correct. So yeah. the first thing I want to tell you is, I remember when you told me when you got this gig. Yeah. And I looked at you, I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I did is because yeah. you had previously been the CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress. Yeah. And the Canadian Jewish Congress is all about human rights. Yeah. Okay. So now all of a sudden you're working for an organization and their responsibility, I guess, is enhancing development in Canada, right? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did you get that gig and why did you take it? Yeah. So, uh, I have this sort of, I, I tell people I've had a career path that you can't plan. You couldn't have planned my career path. Right. And that's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a true thing. Um, so, and I, I kind of situate my career, uh, though it, it shifts a little bit here and there, depending on what I'm doing or who I'm working for, uh, in that sort of that ill-defined space between, oh, I don't know, business and politics and policy and law and public relations and public policy and all that kind of stuff. A and whole they, stew. Yeah, exactly. And where all those, those different issues meet, you have a, an overlap between things like Canadian Jewish Congress which was advocacy, which had, a, a, you're right, an awful lot of human rights, uh, but which had a lot of other things as well. Uh, and my current organization, where I've, I've been at my longest job by far, it's, uh, well, the story of is uh, that I tell once in a while is true. Um, I know exactly how long I've been at this job uh, because I missed my interview for the job. Did you? And I missed my interview, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I had a good excuse. I missed my interview for the job because my now seven-year-old was being born. Uh, <laughs> so Muzzle I warned tough. them, and I said, hey, that... April 4th is a day that uh, I, I may not be able to be present. And they they uh, foolishly passed me to the next round when she was born. And uh, so I, <laughs> my daughter has a birthday. I've got a birthday. Uh, but yeah, no. So I, I, I took over the job just over seven years ago. Um, and yeah, it turns out that that this industry association, which is chiefly concerned with existing buildings and the people who take care of them, yes. um, has a massive, awesome, incredibly successful, incredibly effective a sustainability program um, for commercial real estate in Canada, uh, and we've we've really put our shoulder into it. We have, you know, three thousand certifications of commercial buildings in in this country, and we just launched it in the states and in Mexico. We have our first tower. 
the Canadian embassy in Beijing is now certified, and we're launching. We launched commercially in Beijing or in China, uh, and we got. A, I, I won't uh, disclose because it's so new, but we got our first order in Europe today. So we really Congrats. think we've got. Thank you. Yeah. So we think we've got a, a sort of Canadian flag-bearing social good that can harmonize business interests with social uh, policy. Uh, and that can be an awesome thing that we can export around the world. What is the certification? So, so the way it's, pe people think that uh, commercial real estate is sustainable based on how it's built yeah. um, or maybe how it's constructed. And that's important. But, but real estate, uh, be it you know, your home or my home or uh, a, a tower or a shopping center or a, or a, or a, a warehouse, um, those buildings are operated. And we may not be aware of that, but we're operating it. And so the truth is how you operate that building uh, is going to have a much bigger impact in general on its sustainability footprint than how you designed it and built it, be it last year or last century. Uh, and so I, I always sort of say, um, think about a car or a vehicle. Um, you know, you can drive your Toyota Prius, which is a, a green vehicle, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, and it is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a hybrid vehicle. And I can drive my uh, my 1980 Cadillac that's as long as your as your living room or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, um, if you drive your Prius with the windows down and the air conditioning on, you are not driving it that sustainably. Hmm. And if I if you do if you if your tires aren't inflated fully, you are not as sustainable as you could be if you don't change the oil in your Prius. And I can drive my Cadillac just so and with a light foot yeah. and make sure that I'm yeah. being very careful. And maybe that's an extreme example, but uh, at some point, maybe I can even have a smaller footprint than you because you're such a terrible driver. No offense. Um, so the same principle <laughs> goes for commercial real estate. So we go in and we sort of say, okay, how are you operating this building? Yeah. What are your, what are the human beings who, who run it every day doing? And what technologies and, uh, and, and capital investments have you put in the building? And when you think about that, you know, the, the, the teeny amount of buildings that are going up new um, can't, can't solve the challenge. Um, the vast, vast, vast majority of buildings are always already built. And those ones are all emitting. We all know that. And so we got to reduce the emissions of those buildings. And that's what we do. Is it meaningful for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, climate change is it's the issue of our time. It's, uh, it's a real issue. It is threatening uh, the world's viability. Uh, it's making our lives harder. It's making our lives more expensive. It's yes, causing yes. refugees to, uh, to to flee more. And, uh, you know, uh, Europe this week is sweltering. Villages were evacuated. They were too hot in the villages. Yes. Uh, so for sure, it's meaningful work. Absolutely. What are developers Absolutely. like? So again, my, my guys, my members, I mean guys generically, uh, are, are owners and managers. Yeah of existing buildings. Now, some of them might also be developers of new of new products. And my members range from smaller independent people uh, to really big, you know, institutional um, uh, money people. So uh, pension fund owned and and uh, and 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 so forth. Um, they're awesome people. There's a you know, they they uh, the, the ethos in the industry is cooperative. Um, it, 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 they're competitors. Uh, but as we said at our at our awards uh, last week, when Canada walked away with three international awards out of fourteen categories, yeah, congratulations um, on that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, my my past chair, Anne Marie Gavremont, said, um, "We don't compete against you; we compete with you." Nice. Which I thought was a lovely turn of phrase. Nice. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think that they feel that they succeed when another one fails. 
I think they recognize that the industry's uh, success is their success. And so they don't only want to be better than the competitors. They want their competitors to be more environmentally efficient, uh, more accessible to the disabled, um, more resilient to climate change and extreme weather and flooding, um, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I sit on a committee of, of security uh, leads for, uh, for BOMA from some of the big companies who deal with uh, both physical security and, um, and uh, cyber security. Yes. And the ethos in that room, and they live it, is there is no competition in security. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if God forbid an incident happens next door and you own this building and manage this building and I own that one, they take no pleasure in an incident happening of next course, door. Of course, of uh, course, yeah. Because first of all, nobody wants a negative incident. Uh, and, and second of all, it reflects on the industry overall. How, how did you acclimatize to the language of the developer? Because you don't come across as a developer. That that doesn't seem yeah. to be your personality. I'm not. I'm not. And again, you know, most of my members deal not in development, but in ownership and management. Or even that yeah. real estate sort of Weltenschauen that way, right? <laughs> right? That way. No, well, look, I was a fish out of water for the first little right. while, for right. sure. For sure. I mean, I remember going to my first, first board meeting and I was uh, surprised that the board members delved into the numbers of, yeah. of my organization, which was not the culture of my previous organization. I had to be a quick study. Uh, and uh, And so I have. And, you know, it's, you develop new skill sets, you, you adapt, um, but, you know, we've grown the organization. The organization's, you know, is much larger than before. I think there were three employees when I entered. We have 10 right now. That's not counting the 11 chapters across the country and the network around the world. And, you know, we're trying to develop uh, new product and content and stuff all the time. It's an enterprise. It's a business. It's just a nonprofit business for sure. Are you good at it? <laughs> That's my board. <laughs> I mean, seven years in, I hope so. You like, know? do you feel like you're still growing? Do you still feel like there's a ways to go? So I probably shouldn't say this on the, on the radio, so to speak, but, uh, well, why not? Um, I thought I would get in, I would take the job over, I would do it for six months and I'd move on. Yeah. And seven plus years later, I'm still enjoying myself, still learning, still growing, still motivated. It's, it's great. What sort it's of boss great. are you? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what kind of boss am I? That's a, that's a funny question. You got to ask my staff. Um, I, I think I'm, uh, I think I used to be much more of a micromanager and yeah. I, I, and part of the change has been just, you know, the team has grown and the scope of our work has grown and I, I just can't do it all. Uh, you know, when there's three people in the office, it's kind of hard not to everybody be, uh, be together. So I think I've, I've let go on that. I've assembled an awesome team that are good at what they do and I trust them to do, uh, the things that they're good at. And so, and I, I've also, I, I travel too much, frankly, so I'm not, uh, around as much as I used to be as well. Um, so I hope, hopefully I empower them and don't get in their way too, too much. Uh, and I've sort of deliberately sort of raised myself up a little bit um, in, in that regard. You know, we have a really um, good culture. My, my um, fellow in my office who, who met you many years ago, as mentioned before, Mike Parker, who's in charge of our, of our marketing, um, likes to quote this famous uh, quotation from Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist, yes. which, which you'll love if you haven't heard it before. And the quotation is, and this is right up your alley, Avram, um, never underestimate, and this may not be word for word, but never underestimate the ability of a small group Correct. of dedicated people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And that's the ethos, I think, of Vehavta, which you founded. And that's the ethos that I think we live at, at BOMA Canada, corny as it sounds. 
Yeah, I know. It's a wonderful line. I use it often, mm-hmm. although I say it differently than you. Okay, well, I'm not <laughs> sure. The I always say, never were. think that one person can't, yada, yada, yada. There so you when go. you so go, you put a bit of hell in there, too. Eh? Yeah, 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 there's yeah. a little Judy, Judaism I toss in, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah. So so you travel a lot. Do you um, FaceTime? I said, said hell, I meant Tarfun. Pardon me. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you FaceTime your girls when you're away in Beijing or wherever? I don't FaceTime them very much. Once in a while, I do. They used to be very interested in my hotel rooms. I take pictures of the hotel yeah, rooms. Daddy, yeah, Daddy, show exactly. me the room, right? And they'd want I, they'd want to see the pool and I'd say I didn't really get to the pool I, once in a while I'd go down in my suit and make a picture of the pool and they'd all think I was a creep for doing that kind of stopped doing that after a while because I didn't want to make a reputation for myself uh, but we talk on the phone um, you know most days um, I, I travel enough that they're used to it for better or for worse and we'll, we'll quickly grab a few minutes in the evening when I can for sure now I have never uh, testified in front of parliament mm-hmm. but I've always been deeply curious about it you testified regarding Canadian green billing practices, right? Sure, yeah, a few times. Is it a daunting experience? No, I mean, for me, it's not. Now, I mean, maybe it would be for others. In a way, it's a big deal. I mean, you're testifying in front of a committee of of MPs or senators. Um, I I guess I had the advantage of having spent three years working right across the street from Parliament Hill. I was a Privy Council office. Um, Part of that work entailed going to cabinet meetings and sitting behind closed doors with the door closed uh, and uh, I guess that's, that's redundant. <laughs> and uh, and and listening to to ministers um, have frank conversations about public policy and politics. And so I just spent so much time in and around that area that I guess I had a comfort level that maybe somebody else wouldn't have. But at the end of the day, you know, our parliamentarians, uh, you, you commented before about how my my uh, middle school teacher, Mr. Berger, was was just a human being at the end of the day, and so are they. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I sort of go in there with a fairly relaxed approach. I see it as an opportunity to educate uh, an important group of people about what we do, um, have often the same conversations you and I had about how, how it's a misperception to focus, uh, for instance, on sustainability only on new construction. You got to focus on that massive swath of existing. And I try to make it conversational. When you're sitting with a parliamentarian, and I know you just touched on this, but I want to push it a little bit. I've been in the room with some very great Israeli politicians like mm-hmm. Yitzhak Shamir. Mm-hmm. I spent time with him when he came here to Toronto. Right. I was overwhelmed just mm-hmm. to be in his presence right. um, because of what he's accomplished in life. Yep. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he had the weight of every Israeli man, woman, and child on his shoulder. Right. So I look at these people and I'm in awe. I mm-hmm. met uh, Bill Clinton when I was in Little Rock, mm-hmm. Arkansas, for mm-hmm. the 50th anniversary of the Little Rock Nine. Mm-hmm. So I've met some very auspicious characters mm-hmm. and people. Mm-hmm. And I'm quiet when I'm with them. Mm. I don't think that I should talk. I think I should listen. Yeah. What's your experience? You've been with Stephen Harper's of the world, right? That's super interesting. You're quiet with them. Um, that's a very interesting comment. Look, I am not having beers with Stephen Harper if he drinks beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you know, I've, I've met some of these people. I've occasionally been in meetings with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they would have no clue who I was. In fact, I was once uh, in, a, in a meeting about 25 people with Paul Martin uh, after he had uh, uh, lost and he was a private citizen again, it was a sustainability-focused uh, meeting at the Evergreen Brickworks in Toronto, uh, and uh, and I each of us had a moment or two to say something, and so I, 
I said, oh, Mr. Martin, I, I used to work for you when I was Privy Council Office and you were Prime Minister. And he kind of he kind of laughed and said, oh, yeah, what kind of boss was I? So that kind of gives you the, the level of engagement that he and I had had until that point. Um, yeah, look, so, so I, I can't I can't speak to, uh, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau's private cell phone number, although I did have dinner with him before he was prime minister. He, he wouldn't remember. He's at a thousand dinners. What did you um, eat? Do you remember? Uh, it was a dinner, actually, Avram. I forget what I ate, but it was at the <laughs> um, the JCC or the, the main Jewish community building uh, in Montreal. Uh, where, Were you comfortable? Yeah, I mean, look, he was a backbench MP at the time. Uh, he, he was seated to my right. His uh, his EA was between us. We didn't chat that much. I mean, I was just sort of busy talking to yeah. people next to me. Yeah. Uh, little did I know that he was going to become prime minister. And even if I had, I'm not sure how I could have changed the course of history. Uh, uh, but um, they're people, you know, they're people. Um, and uh, it's just, you, know, you want to be respectful, and you want to be uh, and 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 respectful not just uh, of them, but you know, I, I I am at heart a public servant, and so you want to be, um, you, you want to have a, a a bit of reverence uh, for the senior most public leaders uh, in our democracy, but you don't want to make them superheroes either. You want to treat no. them as the human beings that they are, with their with their with their uh, frailties and so forth. I was sitting, as I mentioned before, with Yitzhak Shamir in the Royal right. York Hotel. Okay. We were having a, a meal, mm -hmm. and his wife turned to me. She, I believe she's Romanian or, yeah. or was Romanian. Yeah. And I had a restaurant and food show on the radio at right. that time. It was called Marty and Avram, the food guys. I've, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Before my time, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, so she said to me, she looks at me, and she goes, do not ask my, my, do not ask my husband any questions about politics. Okay. Well, well, you know me. I'm loquacious. I yammer on and right, on and on. Right. Even though, again, I'm I'm trying to be respectful and quiet yeah. in these environments. But I had to ask him something. Right. So at some point, I turned to him. I said, "Mr. Shamir, I'm just wondering how was the food in Akko Prison?" <laughs> kind of touching on two <laughs> Great worlds. Right? Question. Great of course, question. Akko Prison was where the British put yeah. the Israelis whom they captured. Yeah, I know. Begin, I thought was there. But I could be confused. That doesn't I, matter. I think yeah. he may have been too. So, okay. anyways, his wife turns to me and she yeah. looks at me very sternly. Yeah. And she says to me, as in the name Stern. Yeah. And she looks at me and she yeah. says, "My husband wasn't in Akko Prison." Oh, there you go. And he turns to her. He goes. Of course I was. Hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> and then they start going at hilarious. each other. That's awesome. And I'm thinking, geez, I wonder if this is part of history right here. That's hilarious. Know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm embarrassed not to know which Israeli leader it was, but um, I want to say in the 50s or maybe the 60s, an Israeli president, I believe, maybe prime minister, um, came to Winnipeg. Yes. So I wasn't born. I wasn't, I was, my parents weren't even married yet. Uh perhaps retired already and i don't know which one it was offhand i believe he was religious if that helps you identify him anyway the point is that he landed at winnipeg airport and they went off to the function and my grandfather was a bit of a community leader and somebody had neglected to realize that the individual only ate kosher mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they had forgotten to get and there were probably a half a dozen kosher restaurants at the time in winnipeg but it was too late or something like that and it's a true story uh, though i forget the name of the leader my gra my grandfather went to the nearest payphone, called my grandmother and said, we've got company tonight. <laughs> and, and my grandmother, who was also a spectacular That's cook, awesome. uh, cooked up a feast for this guy. That's in, in awesome. A, you know, 45 minutes notice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You once wrote, I heard of the slaughter at the Pittsburgh synagogue on Saturday just as Sabbath services ended yeah. at my own synagogue in Toronto. Yeah. The children, including my two daughters, had just joined the congregation for the final prayer. You continue. 
over Kiddush, which is the lunch or the meal after the service, lunch in the hall, some had heard the dreadful news and others hadn't. We didn't even know the name of the synagogue at that point, but everyone immediately began to wonder if any of their friends, family, and acquaintances might have been among the victims. And in every synagogue, this is what you write, and in every synagogue in North America, we uneasily thought one other thing. Are we about to come under attack too? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Why did you arrive at that thought? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, natural might be the wrong word, but I, I, I think that the when these things happen and they're happening more and more, it seems the worry is there'll be some kind of coordinated attack in multiple sites that, yeah. that, that you know that it won't just be one synagogue. And in fact, there have been those. Uh, in, in a way, I, I I believe, if memory serves, in in the horrible attacks in the New Zealand mosque, I think the same individual went after two or three mosques. That's Kutu, I believe. It yeah, was, yes. and that that doesn't leave out the possibility of somebody acting in concert, of two people acting in concert, or ten people acting in concert at different sites. Um, so yeah, yeah, you 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 worry about you know, my very first. I I went over to the rabbi, I interrupted him. Which I don't do typically. Uh, I barged right in. I could have a, a quiet moment, and I he had just heard, so he probably knew why I was doing that. Uh, and I said, "Have you heard the news?" And he said, "We just heard it." And I said, "Has security been been informed? Is is the is this is this a safe place?" And and he he said uh, he said yes. I think he, he said whatever he, he he said yes, or he he looked into it right away. And in fact, talked about how there's <laughs> a a bit of CJC history uh, coming you know in, in my in my muscle memory, which is the uh, Canadian Jewish Congress, Canadian yeah. Jewish Congress where I had previously worked. Um, yeah, no, these are, these are, uh, pardon, pardon the ironic word. These are live issues for our community. Yes, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. Now you continue in this article. It seems mm-hmm. to me based on what you're writing and I concur, you say that this, uh, uh, last hundred years yeah. in America and yeah. by extension, Canada, yeah. uh, may have been a blip. Yeah. It, and I think the inference being it might be over. Yeah. Explain that. Well, look, I'm not a professional historian. I, I can't hold myself out uh, as being an expert, but um, it does strike me, you know, <laughs> the, the, the old joke of uh, what's a Jewish holiday? Three parts. They tried to kill us. They failed. Let's eat. Let's eat. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, it, 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 at the risk of sounding melodramatic or whatever, it is a tragic history. Yes. There are a lot of pretty crappy, horrible and, and horrific moments in our history but there have also been moments of um, flourishing, um, uh, lots of those as well. Um, and the point that I was trying to make in that piece, I, I think in cbc.ca, if I'm not mistaken, um, was that there, there was and maybe still is a view that America, and I mean that a little bit more broadly than just the country, um, was different. Uh, that America was a place where anti-Semitism had basically been beaten uh, that insofar as it existed, it was negligible and more of an irritant uh, than uh, than pernicious and deadly. Uh, and maybe that was a, you know, capital H historical change. Yes. Uh, and you look at the world today and you see the violence and the hatred and, and the incitement and the globalization of, of a lot of this stuff. You see it coming from the radical right. You see it coming from the radical left. You see it coming uh, from uh, the Islamist uh, community, not Islamic, but Islamist uh, community. Um, and you start saying to yourself, well, 
maybe America is just the same as uh, as uh, you know uh, emancipated Europe. Maybe America is just the same as uh, you know. Iraq, where Jews flourished until there was a pogrom. Uh, maybe America is just the same as everywhere else. And is this the end of an era uh, where our community has, you know, security and prosperity and comfort and equality and that kind of stuff? Mm. Yeah, you, you wrote, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but it's possible that, that that's that's where we are. You, you said you said here's the ugly truth: there will likely uh, be other Pittsburghs. No, there has been. Poe, Poe, California has happened since then. Right. And Six you, months of the day, I believe. It's very interesting what you yeah. wrote. You said the yeah. rabbi, yeah. a, a Lubavitch Chabad rabbi, mm-hmm. he said ultimately had very little influence on us, even though he was so prolific. Yeah. So I, I think what happened is that after after Pittsburgh, um, there was this uh, social media hashtag show up for Shabbat yeah. where we were going to you know march back into synagogue to shul. And uh, and it was going to be a show of defiance or a show of uh, whatever reason we're going to fill the synagogues uh, the Shabbat after to sort of secure our place in this community. And I went with my family um, and there was a a lovely uh, ring of peace that the Muslim community and other communities uh, created around our our synagogue. And we invited them in afterwards for uh, for Kiddush lunch. Um, And then Poe comes along six months later. Okay, you know. Only, I'm um, quote-unquote with my fingers now, one person was killed um, uh, and a little less, uh, um, you know, profile in that. But the rabbi was extremely uh, eloquent and and um, and expressive. But there was no show up for Shabbat. <laughs> yeah. It was just the new normal, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, maybe I'm being a little bit, who, who knows? I, 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 I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong, but I, I am kind of worried that it's a new trend. You said been there, done that. Yeah, in, in I mean, words, you know, it's the ring of peace. I did that, by the way, at a Muslim at a mosque. Yeah, right. And yeah. then, and, and then I'm reading your piece, and you go, okay. And by the way, I happen to agree with you. Yeah, it's really yeah. nice. Yeah, and aesthetically, it's beautiful. Yeah, but to, to do these rings but, of peace. Yeah, but is that which it? We should explain perhaps a ring of peace is is where other faith groups will hold hands mm-hmm. physically around this the building. Uh, of a, of a synagogue or a mosque or a temple or what have you after that community's been attacked. Um, look, it's it's a lovely gesture, but um, at what point do people start losing interest? Right, yeah. right. And what's yeah. the follow up to it? And what's the follow up? But yeah. Benji, what? And, and and it's 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 only a gesture. And look, it's happened to our community and and from our community on both sides. It doesn't keep you it doesn't keep you safe. But l- listen, yeah. here's what I would say as far as that ring goes. Yeah. One of the things that we need to do as a Jewish people and any group who's under attack yeah. is to create friendships. I agree. And alliances. Absolutely. And that is a way of creating an alliance. Great point. Right? And I think that's very important. Great, yeah, great point. I mean, it it is probably uh, I hate to be so cynical, it is it is probably um, um, confirmation bias. Which is to say, you're probably getting people who are already predisposed to do that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're growing. No, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm being too negative. Maybe there are people who are saying, you know, I'm going to go and uh, and and join one of these things for the first time. Um, it's important. I, I'm I'm being, I'm being too negative. Oh, I don't think but, it yeah. matters if they're yeah. predisposed. I yeah. think by encouraging them to come out and to play a role, which is significant at yeah. that moment. Yeah. Fair point. You build that friendship. You're right. You're right. 100%. Benji. Yeah. Um, why do people hate the Jews? <laughs> That's a crazy question. Uh, Why are we hated so much? There's only one answer I can give you, Aram. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. I really don't. I'm, I'm not sure anyone knows. I mean, there's you know, books and books and books and books written on this stuff. Um, 
Yeah, that's a I'm gonna be very provo- profound I, I, question. I'm going to be provocative. I'll be a little provocative yeah, here, okay. okay? And and understand I'm doing it to be provocative. Yeah. Is there something that we do? I, I get your deliberate provocativeness. Uh, no, there's not. <laughs> How could there be? Uh, um, you know, we are such a diverse group. Yeah. You know, think about Jews uh, in Canada, uh, or, or by origin, Jews from uh, uh, Eastern Europe were radically different from than Jews from Correct. Western Europe. Yes. Uh, forgetting, uh, you know, Jews from Morocco who were radically different than Jews from uh, Iraq, even though we call them all Mizrahi or Sephardi, which sometimes mistakenly, uh, and throw in Ethiopian Jews and throw in, I don't know, Adonite Jews who are neither uh, Ashkenazi nor Sephardi and on and on and on. There's just too much diversity, uh, as you can see, you know, you know, the old joke about two Jews, three opinions, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a mystery. I think it's an absolute mystery. Is there something to be said about the idea that the Jewish people bought, brought civility to the world and you hate the guy in the group who yells out the rules and re- yells out the ethical aspects of what you're doing and it's like, screw you, bud, leave us alone. Don't tell us who we are and how to be. I don't think that resonates with me because the nature of Judaism for thousands of years, not totally exclusively, but with with, with the enormous breadth of, of our history is keeping to ourselves. Um, you know, this is not a, 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 a proselytizing religion. Yeah. There were not, Jewish crusades or a Jewish Saladin uh, who, you know, tried to conquer lands and forcibly convert religiously, culturally, what have you. Um, You know, this is a group that by and large, you know, um, keeps to itself, maybe is pushing, putting, putting it the wrong way, but has, has really just no interest, like literally no interest in the outside world engaging in Judaism. We we have an interest in the outside world. We're a part of the world. Um, so for culture, for commerce, for art, for whatever, um, you know, Jews are, are, are often uh, fully integrated, not always. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, it, it's just not a Jewish thing to do to, you know, there are Jehovah's Witnesses who stand outside my office every day, um, very respectfully, I might add, very, very politely, uh, but who are uh, hoping to convert people yes. to their religion. That's unheard of with the most ridiculous of historical exceptions in Judaism. Benji, if you don't know what the reason is, then you don't know how to fix it. Now, you were the CEO of Canadian Jewish Congress. Yeah. So you were privy to some very, very serious things having to do with anti-Semitism. Yeah, for sure. So let me throw throw this at you in a different way. Yeah. What do we need to do? Well, I mean, I guess I distinguish between the ability to fix it with the ability to fight it, to manage it, <clears throat> to mitigate it, yes. uh, and so forth. Um, you know, uh, anti-Semitism is often, uh, is often compared to a mutating virus. Um, you know, the, the virus is not constant. It will adapt uh, to, um, w- with the world. Um, well, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of medical professionals around the world who are still fighting that virus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are there are those who believe that cancer will be cured and those who believe that cancer will never be cured. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't fight cancer, you don't research cancer, you don't treat cancer, you don't do all those kinds of things. So I'm not suggesting that it's something you ignore. On the contrary, you engage with it. But good luck to you if you're going to solve it. 
So here are my thoughts on that. Tell me what you think. All right. Okay. Lean on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think we do. Number one is we teach our children and we teach ourselves to defend ourselves. Sure. Uh, it's called Krav Maga. Is that what it's called? Uh, Krav Maga. Krav which is, Maga. I mean, it's physical self-defense. Physical self-defense. I think yeah. we have it in all of our schools. I think we have the Jewish Community Center. Yeah. And I think we we share with other other uh, minority groups who yeah. need to know how to defend themselves. So I think yeah. we need to teach ourselves how to defend ourselves. Okay. okay? okay. Number one. Okay. I think we have to develop groups within our community. Yeah which go out at night mm -hmm. and we basically guard our Jewish edifices. Right. In other words, it's called Shmiraz. We yeah. used to do in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. I think number three is we yeah. need to break bread with the other. Yeah. And that's my big piece. Yeah. That's really what I stressed at Via Havta. Yeah. It's the idea that we go downtown to the Muslim community. Yeah. We invite ourselves to dinner. Yeah. Or we have them over to our place and we yeah. sit and we talk. Yeah. And we let them know who we are and we find out who they are, how they are. But we do it consciously, aggressively and with thought and strategy, mm -hmm. because for all intents and purposes, what we're doing is we're keeping to our own neighborhoods. Right. OK. Yeah. So these are three ideas that I have. I have others. Yeah. I think we have to advertise kindness. Yeah. As an example, when you go on the bus or when you go on the subway, yeah. and, I, and I saw this years ago, yeah. there's poetry, there's there's right. quotes yeah, that there. reflect the goodness yeah. of humankind. Right. There's not a not uh, there's not enough of that out in society. Right. So these are some ideas that I had. I mentioned this to Rabbi Korobkin from the Bayat Synagogue in Clark Street. I heard the uh, the podcast. Right. Thank yeah. you. So it's one of the biggest yeah. uh, Orthodox synagogues in North America. He looked at me. He says, "You're right." But so far, I'm not hearing anything from our leadership or our yeah. rabbis. In fact, I'll tell you, I spoke to a major leader within our community, yeah. and he said to me, Avram, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Our leaders are scratching their heads. Yeah. And this is disturbing me. I have a 13-year-old son, yeah. and I don't know what I'm leaving him to. Right. So what's your take on what I said? There's a, there's a whole lot there. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to keep all the points straight in my head. Um, so you said you had, there were three things that you that you raised, if I got it correct. The first one was teaching self-defense mm -hmm. to our kids and our and our community. I'm not sure I'm with you on that one. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I don't know that the issue, the threat that we face, is sort of you know um, 1950s, you know. Uh, uh, schoolyard gangs yes. uh, and, and fisticuffs. Uh, this isn't Greece, uh, you know. Uh, or Christy Pitts. Well, yeah, Christy, Christy Pitts um, is, is earlier, though. I, I, there, there are incidents of, of non-lethal physical violence, of, yeah. uh, but not tons of them. I, I want to think that one through. I, I'd, I'd be worried that it might just be, look, anybody wants to do it, you know, fill your, fill your boots and, uh, and, and go for it. Um, I'd be gazoons instead of fill your boots. Uh, but uh, um, I guess what I'm saying, Benji, is yeah. again, to be very crass yeah. about it, we were brought up to be kind of wussy. Have you ever been in a fight? <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. Or I've been in a few. Yeah. But, but is it a good thing not. or a bad thing? I'm, I'm dodging a question. It's both. Yeah. It's both. But not I don't, much, yeah. I don't yeah. think we're prepared to uh, but defend the world's ourselves. changed, right? I mean, I'm dodging your question. Have I been in a fight? I mean, barely. Yeah. Uh, but. You know the the, the world of um, of of kids duking it out literally yes. at thirteen, like your son or sixteen. That world is gone. That that if they're duking it out today, okay. The cops are called. They go to prison or not prison, but jail. You know, the family services comes in. They're pay. The 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 sort of um, image and probably a myth 
that that sort of a rite of passage of of boyhood and I'm you know and, and girls wouldn't do it uh, uh, I, I presume I'm, I'm not sure it ever happened <clears throat> and I'm not sure we want it to happen what about um, guarding our edifices creating groups there of I, I have I have you know again I haven't thought these things through carefully uh, you're yeah but uh, there's I have I have some some openness to that personally um, I believe there's a fairly successful and robust program like that in the UK, mm-hmm. a volunteer-driven uh, sort of shmirah guard, guarding of, of Jewish community institutions. Um, you know, I, I would hate to, to attract uh, uh, people who are looking for a fight. Uh, oh, I'll volunteer and I'll go crack some skulls. Uh, that's not a good thing. But yeah, I, I think that's probably not a bad thing if done in a sober, careful way with law enforcement's you know, support and cooperation uh, and, and, and so forth. And that happens in Israel, too. Uh, in, in Israel, there, there's Shmirah, uh, for, for sure. Um, so that, that's something that I think, I think would be interesting. And then your last one... Breaking um, bread. Breaking bread. So what's interesting is that you said, you know, we've got to break bread. We've got to go down to, to meet the Muslim community and break bread with them totally agree and those things happen not enough and i've written about that uh in 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 my pieces um you know the muslim community is is it's it's almost my understanding is almost not a community i mean it's so big there are a billion muslims in the world yes it's bad so it's just it's kind of hard to know where to begin but we do have some some inroads there but what's interesting is that you know you didn't say uh we should break bread with the alt-right or the radical left. Because right. uh, that's not really the same kind of community. We are a ethno-cultural religious community, kind of like the Muslim community. The, the alt-right is a politicized community. The, the radical left is a politicized community. They don't, have, they don't kind of fit together like a hand in a glove the way we do. And I'm not sure what we do with them yeah. because the only thing to talk about is their issues with us. Yes. Whereas with, a, with the Muslim community or the Hindu community or the Catholic community, you know, there's an open, there's an opportunity for interfaith dialogue. I have a piece um, on that a year or two ago where I bemoan the abandonment of interfaith dialogue in our community. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think we, uh, we, we pretend that talking to other communities on a transactional basis, let's band together to fight for school funding or to get, um, you know, money for this or government recognition for that. It's, it's, it's a, it's episodic and it's not really interfaith dialogue. I said in the piece, it's interfaith monologue. We're all going to talk about one issue, bring bring a united front and then go back home to our, to our respective corners, as opposed to actually learning about each other and building. Oh, I think you're dead on. I've been invited to sit on many committees. I say, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time because nothing happens there. It's really I, nice. I, I, I will say, and I think this is in my piece in the Canadian Jewish News from a year or two ago, that I don't, I don't think our community does it at all. I, th- I think that, that there are some organizations that have um, sort of poo-pooed it, who could be championing it, and, and, and uh, shame on them for doing so. Um, but I also think we don't get it. Uh, so um, you and I uh, should not be, no offense, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you what to live your life, but my view is we should not be the representatives of the Jewish community at Interfaith Dialogue. I've been a representative of the community when I was in Jewish Congress at the World Religions Summit or something like that in Winnipeg, um, which was a, a major international event. Well, I'm not a rabbi. Yes. I'm not a theologian. Yes. And all the other religions send their clerical leadership. Exactly. And so who am I as a kid who studied politics and law going to go and I, I, I can't have a, a, a meaningful, deep um, uh, theological right, conversation right. with a 
uh, an imam and a Catholic priest. Even though you love the Winnipeg Jets. You used <laughs> exactly, to, right? exactly. And I've heard from, from yeah. Christians and I've heard yeah. from Muslims representatives yeah. at uh, interfaith uh, dialogue, envi- yeah. in, inter- dialogue environments that yeah. where, where is your leadership? Where are they? Yeah. They're not coming out. And, and I think that speaks to just a, a completely misunderstand- or misunderstanding. You've used the word leadership in our community leadership a few times. And, you know, there's there's no election in the Jewish community no, to elect our leaders. Uh, there's a little bit of a self-appointment among a closed group of, of people um, who are not reflective of the broader community. Some still do a great job, some don't. But this idea of sort of a centralized, quote-unquote, official or quasi-official leadership of our community is bananas. Um, there's as much official leadership of our community, in this case we are similar, to the radical left. Yes. The radical left doesn't have meetings where they they pay dues and 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 have a constitution. You know, they just organically and so what happens is the 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 same, you know, political, small p political um, um, tensions arise and, you know, certain people are able to exert influence and others can't and you have this sort of perverted leadership model. Uh, we have a few more minutes. There's just a couple of things right, sure. I need to ask you. Take your time. It's gone by very fast. Tell me about James and the giant anti-Semite. <laughs> you wrote a piece on it. It's just lovely. Yeah, thank you. It yeah. really is. It's one of my more recent pieces. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's a piece that I wrote. I read a piece in the Globe a year or two ago where the writer tried to make the point, and, and he, if I'm not mistaken, it was one of their senior writers, maybe their art critic, sort of say, you got to divorce art and artists, that art stands on its own merit and that you can you can love a piece of art made by a, a, a human being who, uh, <laughs> love a piece of art made by a bad person, let's be blunt. Wagner. Wagner. I mean, you want to go to the extreme of the extreme, what's that thing from the, the, the internet? Hitler. Hitler painted. You know, so could, could you imagine putting up a painting of Hitler in your living room or whatever? I mean, it's, it's preposterous. And I, I, I'm almost pained to say this, beautiful though the painting may be, yes. you know? Um, so, so in that piece that I wrote, James and the Giant Anti-Semite, which I didn't title, the pieces are all titled by other people, um, I, I, I talk about my love of Roald Dahl um, as a kid. I just read his books over and over and over again. Um, and I have the box set. Uh, I think this is my, my piece that, that my uh, aunt bought for me when I was no older than 10. Uh, I, I misspelled my own name. I on know. The box. I love that. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Yeah. Do you know how you spelled it? Uh, I think I forgot the J or something Did like you? that. Yeah, that's I terrific. Forget. I've got it at home. I can look. Yeah. Uh, that's how little I was. Although I was reading it, I guess I couldn't be that little. And it, you know, it turns out I found out years later that Roald Dahl, you know, was a pretty horrible person. Uh, he he wore the label of anti-Semite uh, proudly, which is bizarre uh, and 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 worrying. And and there's other parts of his of his writings I don't remember that well, uh, which are offensive to black people and others. Uh, and so I sort of struggle in the piece with how this this these books that I just could not get enough of as a ten ten year old or so. I can't read to my kids today. Yeah, uh, I just, I just doesn't feel right, and that's the sort of key point that I make is that engagement with art is not a um, logical intellectual exercise, or at least not entirely that. It's an emotional, personal exercise, and so if art makes you feel uneasy or feel bad, badly, or feel whatever it makes you feel, that. <laughs> 
that's the purpose of the or that's the meaning of the art is what it makes you feel. And so I say that I, I just I can't bring myself to reading those books to my own kids who are the same age as I was back then. And then, you know, but I say because it's about feelings, there's never a fine line. And so I think I conclude the piece by talking about how my kids and their cousins in Chicago were in in Winnipeg for uh, the winter holidays. And they all with my dad watched uh, uh, um, uh, and Chocolate Factory. Uh, and I didn't I, I didn't think twice, didn't even occur to me. But that's what they were watching. I knew they were watching it, but I never thought um, that they shouldn't or it didn't make me feel uneasy. In fact, I was delighted that the five of them, you know, for two two siblings and their cousins, two siblings and my dad, hung out watching the watching the show. What, what, I'm sorry. What, what's the problem with watching that show? Oh, it, it's Waldell. It's the same art. Same, oh, same I author. didn't realize. Yeah, that. yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now the flip side to this, yeah. you write. Yeah. And that's why I like your articles, by the way. In okay. a very short period of time, you're able to. Take your point in different directions. Thanks. By contrast, you write, yeah. compare art to science. Right. Isaac Newton was vindictive, vicious, and violent, which I didn't know. Yeah, he's horrible. Yet no one feels badly about the laws of gravity. Yeah. It's beautifully said. <laughs> Despite their association with a scientist, it was also a jerk. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's the point, right? Like, I mean, um, you know... I'm 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 not a science a scientist. Uh, my my family joke about me being a scientician, mm-hmm. um, but you know science is entirely brain based. Yes, it's about right and wrong, trial and error, testing hypotheses, uh, being dispassionate, being dispassionate. Whereas art is about being passionate. It's about letting your your feelings lead the way. Yeah, we also know that experiments done by uh, Nazi doctors, mm-hmm. uh, which arrived at uh, conclusions conclusions, which may have been helpful to people later on, we don't use, mm-hmm. right? Even though that's dispassionate. It's a really interesting point that I haven't thought through in this regard at all. You know, which is to say that's that's neither a point of art nor of science. It's a point of ethics. And ethics, I got to think this through, Avram, uh, uh, later, uh, but ethics are a place, I think, where, um, where um, the intellectual and the emotional, the dispassionate mm-hmm. and the passionate overlap. It's Very a good. really interesting point. And, and so, yeah, there could be real science in those outrageously evil experiments, but how we feel about them matters. Um, that's a really interesting point. Here's how you finish the article. Yeah. Uh, your beginnings, I know you think them through, but it's very clear your endings do. <laughs> you, you think them through as well. I Thank do you. that as well. You do, you do. Yeah, you said back in Toronto, uh, that Roald Dahl book set, which had gone unread for decades, and again, I can see it sitting on your yeah, shelf so where you spelled Benji wrongly, <laughs> uh, still sits on my bookshelf. For some reason, I can't imagine giving it, giving it up. Despite it all, it just wouldn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because the, the feelings lead the way. Isn't sure. that interesting, sure. eh? Yeah. 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 When, when are you the most in nature? When do you feel right at home in, in, in this world that God built? You go up to a cottage, right? You walk, we barefoot, have a, through, you walk barefoot through the grass? Uh, well, so we have a cottage that I go back to every year. I'm going in two weeks in Winnipeg Beach, uh, Manitoba. Uh, it's, it's, not, it, it's, a, it's a small uh, town, uh, and we're about a block and a half from the water. Yeah. Uh, and it's the water. It's not the beach because the beach is a, is a bike ride or a bit of a bit of a drive away um, or a long walk. 
Um, so it's not like you're sort of walking out, you know, into into deer nibbling on your on your uh, garden or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, if anything, the skunks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a place that feels like home. My my great grandparents bought a cottage there long before I was born. Yeah. And so I guess I'm a fourth generation uh, Winnipeg Beecher. Uh, you know, I, I really strongly believe that uh, my generation, I'm 46, uh, so people in their 40s in general, um, the power of nostalgia is strong for our generation. You know, ask me at the beginning of the interview about growing up in Winnipeg. Uh, and we want to go back and we want to bring those sweet, warm experiences and give them to our kids. And in my case, my kids are quite open to it. So I love the fact that we go to my, you know, pretty modest cottage. My kids go back to the same just delightful, simple little day camp that I used to go to, uh, you know, the, the, the one theater movie, uh, movie theater that, you know, up the road in Gimli, Manitoba. Yes. Um, and all that kind of stuff is, is great. It's great. And it's, you know, it's the kind of place where kids can be kids, you know, there's still a little bit of kids biking down the street on their own without some worrying parent calling them on their cell phone or something like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. It's great. Your favorite food. Oh, I have no idea, man. Uh, <laughs> I used to consider, I, I think I was, I, I am not an early adopter of anything, but uh, I think I was an early adopter of foodieism before it became cliched. And, uh, and I've lost my interest in it to some extent. I, mean, I still like my food, as you can see, from, from my, uh, my uh, amazing physique. Um, uh, but you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm dodging your question only because I don't have an answer for it. But uh, a few years ago, we made the choice to go. We, we, we used to do the home and away rule. We were kosher at home and, and not kosher outside the house. Drove my dad nuts, by the way. He was an Orthodox rabbi. Yeah, I know he was. It drove him nuts. I, I didn't meet him, but I can imagine. Yeah. 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 Hypocrites. But, hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, your, your dad uh, of blessed memory would be happy to know that, that we actually <laughs> uh, moved to being you know, fully kosher mm-hmm. a few years ago. You know, I will eat dairy in a, in a regular restaurant, and I don't miss anything. I don't crave butter slathered steak or 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 shrimp or lobster or cheeseburgers or whatever. Um, yeah, I I I'm happy to eat whatever I whatever I'm eating, be it good, bad, or ugly. What's one of the most important things we need to tell our children? We need to teach our children as they get older to grow in this world, to survive in this world, to be the best people they possibly can be. I think you just said it, right? To be the best people they can possibly be. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that that you know the values and stuff are transmitted not only with words but with actions and tone and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I <clears throat> I look at my own kids. We're we're very very fortunate to have them at, at Associated Hebrew School in Toronto, and uh, man, that's a place to to raise uh, to use an old fashioned word. Mention uh, maybe the wrong word for two little girls, but uh, good folk. Good, good people, down to earth, got their heads screwed on right, understand what's right and wrong. Uh, and you want to build a community around that at the risk of, oh, I feel gross, channeling Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you something. I so enjoyed this interview with you. I really did. Yeah, thanks, man. It's gone by faster than I ever imagined. I said, oh. what, what we talk about for an hour and a half, oh, or whatever it's been. And uh, I am uh, I could go on longer, but uh, yeah, I'm happy to bring it to you. Uh, yeah, I also yeah. could. But yeah. it's it's a pleasure to be with, with you. You're... Um, We've spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time. You're on the Ahafta's board. I am. Yeah. And over time, I, I, uh, I, I've i really grown very fond of you. You're a fine human being. Likewise, Avram. You know, I'll tell you, it's funny. I thought of telling this little anecdote, and uh, you will totally have forgotten it if you ever even realized it. But we met uh, for the first time uh, many years ago. Yeah. 
when I was at Canadian Jewish Congress and I was brand new working in the Jewish community, uh, and you were uh, you were the founder and chief cook and bottle washer of Ahavta, yeah. and we had started up a Darfur project at Canadian Jewish Congress. Very proud of it to this day. Uh, and you had arranged to bring in Mia Farrow as the guest speaker at the Hafta Starry Nights, and we uh, we uh, we partnered together yes. because we were going to launch our Darfur guide, uh, guide for Jewish action at your event, and you were generous in uh, in um, in letting us partner with you. And along the way, there was some miscommunication, and I don't know what happened, but I got a very angry message from you. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember I, what it was? I, I, I forget what it was, but you were unhappy with me, and I was like, what's going on here? Like, yeah. I'm just minding my own business. Yeah. And, uh, and we hit a little bump, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm basically teasing you right now. Uh, because we obviously patched it up and it was an awesome event and here we are all these years later and yeah, doing I, great things at Viahafta together. I kind of remember that. Yeah, okay. uh, once I started Viahafta, which was off the beaten path of the mainstream yeah. Jewish community, yeah. Yeah. I became very defensive of it yeah. in terms of how the mainstream Jewish community acts. Yeah. Now, you've always been a fine person to, yeah. toward me. You've always I'm been a great leader. I'm just pulling your, le- no, pulling no, your leg, no, but I'm, no. I'm teasing you. I'm teasing no, no, you. it's good. It's a good yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But sometimes I was a little bit overly defensive uh-huh. okay. so if that was the case i apologize uh, no 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 that, that is <laughs> not what i mean, mean i'm just trying to do a, do a little uh, yeah, number yeah. On you, that's it could have been yeah, me yeah, yeah. it could have been yeah, me yeah. for sure i remember walking down the hall to bernie farber's who? office like what is going on yeah, i just you know this yeah. guy Avram, Avram rosenzweig is uh he wants to have you for lunch or whatever yeah you know? bernie so, probably says he don't worry about yeah, it he'll that's chill exactly he'll, what he said just chill that, that's Avram. <laughs> <laughs> anyways i want to thank everybody for listening i do want to remind you that the idea behind Hat Radio is to create an environment which is positive, which encourages people to think, to turn us into more critical thinkers than we when, than we are. As you said before, we're so black and white in our thinking nowadays. Let's move away from that. And mostly to be inspired, to be inspired to be a better human being and to, to make this world a better place than it is already because we do truly live in an environment in many ways which shines like gold i mean we're very very blessed so share share the show with others uh i want to thank you again for listening i want to thank you for being my guest today it's my sincere pleasure yes awesome and you have been listening to hat radio it's the show that schmoozes you like that (laughs) love it show that schmoozes yeah yeah, it's awesome it does (laughs) it does schmooze right Yeah, yeah 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 and god bless Avram Rosenzweig began public speaking when he was five years old. Over the last five decades, Avram has mastered the art of public speaking. Today, Avram is a professional speech writer and speech coach. He offers a wide selection of services that can assist you in preparing for public speaking events, speeches for family or professional occasions, a keynote, a memorial, or a simple toast. Avram can also coach you through articulation and presentation challenges. For all your speech writing needs, send Avram an email at info at hatradio.ca. That's info at hatradio.ca. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig, sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned. Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height 
in the high 